Hi there, local citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and I'm coming to you from a... Folks, I gotta tell you, the Harmattan is coming. The Harmattan, and, and you know, if, you, if you've if you ever been to Accra, when you hear people say the Harmattan, it sounds like hammer time. It's Harmattan <laughs> and it's coming. You know, there's various degrees of it now where I don't know if a lot of people come for the year of the return and have come and seen the hazy skies. Well, it's starting and how it starts for people like me who have allergies is different kinds of nasal situations. So I hope I don't sound too nasally today. I'm really excited for my guest who was just informing me about some of her all around the world kind of travels. So I hope you'll get to talk a little bit more about that. So as an entrepreneur, agile transformation coach and speaker, my next guest has championed for quality and process innovation in software development for over 20 years. After graduating from Stanford University School of Computer Science, woo woo! So side note, that's how we know each other. She gained experience as a developer, tester, and leader in diverse industries, including entertainment, security, finance, and healthcare. In 2010, she founded QualityWorks Consulting Group, an app development firm focused on enabling companies to build higher quality software, creating diverse future-ready teams, and accelerating software delivery. Her company was recognized in 2020 as Inc.'s best in business for its social impact driving measurable value to clients such as Comcast, AT&T, Truist, Fandango, Rotten Tomatoes, and Box. She leads a 50-plus and growing team of brilliant technologists located across the U.S. and Jamaica, representing diverse backgrounds, including over 60% women of color. Her team is responsible for creating Quality Watcher, the first AI test case management platform designed to upskill testers while simplifying app quality. In 2020, she launched Posture, an SAAS platform that leverages intelligence and automation to assess and guide small and mid-sized enterprises to affordably develop a cyber-resilient organization prepared for the competitive advantages of compliance. Stacy Kirk, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here and to talk with you today. Yay, yay. Now that was such a mouthful. I'm so excited to like, you are my first super real techie. So I'm so excited to get into that conversation. But first and foremost, I always ask, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Well, I am from Texas, Hearst, Texas. Mm -hmm. I live between Los Angeles, California and Kingston, Jamaica. And my craft is software technology innovation. How does a little girl from Texas, by way of Jamaica, <laughs> become a computer scientist. How? What was that path like? What What inspired you to be this technologist and scientist that you currently are? Well, my father, who is from Jamaica, came to the United States as a telephone technician and TV repair person. And so he loved everything engineering, getting wires and getting uh, electrical parts together. And so I was a daddy's girl and I loved doing anything my dad was doing. And so he would take me on his jobs and let me help him. And our favorite Saturday trip was to Radio Shack. It's probably my favorite store, <laughs> which many young girls probably wouldn't be able to say. And I was able to take a class, fortunately, at the school it, that I went to 
in Texas that had to do with computer programming when I was in second grade. And Oh, wow. Second grade. I just thought it was so cool that I could write something and control it. I think that's part of maybe my type A personality. And so I asked my parents to buy me a computer and a computer programming book. I spent time just writing this many cool little logo type code programming that I wanted to do. And as I got older, got to high school, I really didn't know much about computer science other than the class that I took, but I did feel that it was where the future was headed. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it would be a space where people uh, like me that didn't look like me would be in such demand that, that racism could not even be a factor. And I grew up with a lot of racism around me. Mm, and mm, so imagine. I wanted to do something where no matter how, what you thought of my color of my skin, you would need me. And my parents did a lot. They took a lot of crap just to see me go to good private schools, good schools. And in return, I felt like I wanted to do something where I don't have to put up with the crap that they had to do because mm -hmm. I would have a skill that was so desired anywhere in the world. And I was right. Uh, computer science is one of the most desired fields even today. So how did you find computer science? So you knew that that was what you wanted to do. So when you got to Stanford, did you know that you were going to be a CS major? I did. Yeah. Did you? I decided okay. in high school that I wanted to study computer science after taking a class in high school. So I researched the best computer science schools in the world. And Stanford University was one of the top computer science schools. It was the only one that I thought had a little bit of non-technical excitement as well. Sure, um, sure. I am technical, but I didn't want to be around a bunch of nerds all day, which I thought some other colleges <laughs> may be. I feel like what has made me who I am is not having technical friends. It's having friends in every other place sure. other than technology that feed into um, the innovations that I bring out in the technology industry. So Stanford was the best in the world at it. And so I selected Stanford because of it, for, because of computer science. Got it. I asked that because I went and studied engineering and had no idea that I was going to study engineering until I got there. So oh, wow. it just so happened. Yeah, I just, I mean, I would say that I was kind of, and I don't want to say unprepared, but I visited all of the schools that I applied to. I got in everywhere I applied, visited all of them, did not visit Stanford and didn't visit Northwestern. Mm -hmm. And so my mom had been, she had been quietly planning my Stanford matriculation <laughs> behind my back. But I, I knew I, I wanted to do business. Right, exactly. I knew I wanted to do business. And, she, and you know, it came down to, okay, well, you visit everyone else. You didn't like everywhere else. So just go to Stanford. I was like, hmm. Cold, California. Okay, I'll go to California. And I really had no, you know, I don't, I don't know what I was. I mean, I was smart and, you know, athletic and all those things. And I didn't even fathom doing that until I got there and was like, oh, I can do all of these things here too. Yeah. So yeah, I really value, similar to you, value the um, diverse experience of the different types of minds that were at Stanford. And if you, you can tell from just the history of the type of, um, founders and entrepreneurs that come out of Stanford, that there is a true entrepreneurial spirit. You have it. Mm. I have it. There's something about going to Stanford and people ask me, what did you learn at Stanford? What was the most valuable thing that you learned there? And it wasn't computer science and coding. It was that 
I would never believe that there was someone out there that I couldn't be uh, as wise as, mm. meaning my opinion matters and I could be the world expert in something. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why just because I'm reading the books of Freud and all of these incredible philosophers that I couldn't also be that same way. And I think that's the spirit that is driven many of us um, at that university to do really great things and feel like there's really no boundaries to what we can accomplish. And so that was what I learned is there's no boundaries to what mm-hmm. I can accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would definitely agree. So speaking of that where, let me ask you why the where. <laughs> so you come from Texas, she found herself in California. So how did you come to be living, working and playing where you currently live in Los Angeles? Yeah, well, I... Uh, graduated from Stanford right in the middle of the dot-com boom of the late 1999, 2000. Mm -hmm. It was a really crazy time because it was the first time that people realized you could use the internet to do almost everything. So when I got out of college, I could work anywhere I wanted to. Anyone would hire me. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't even interview for my first out of college. And within a year, I was a manager, which is the most insane thing. But I also was there for the boom where everyone got laid off and everyone realized, mm. yeah, you can do everything with internet, but <laughs> not everyone in the world can get on a computer yet and has high network capabilities. Right, and so right, I, got, right, yeah. I, I was able to go public with the company I was at. I had $30,000, which for, you know, a 22-year-old, 24, 23-year-old seemed like more money. That was the amount of money my mother made in an entire year. So I thought I was rich. <laughs> and um, I said, you know, what can I do with all this money? I don't want to stay in San Francisco. Like, where do, the, where do rich people go? And I was like, well, let's go to Los Angeles. <laughs> and my Two best friends, my best friend from college and my best friend from high school were here in L.A. And I said, well, you know what? I've got my friends. It's sunny. It's cool. I'm young. Let's go to Los Angeles and let me start a business doing something completely outside of technology. I became an artist management rep and Ah. started my first company, Management Services, um, representing a few artists that were very artistic, but didn't have business sense. Um, so I became their business manager. And uh, I learned a lot about owning a business and how to fail at a business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, inevitably, I decided to stay, made roots, got married, had children, and realized that, you know, this place is now home. And it, it, it allowed me to, you know, afforded me to, as I went through job and management, to to be able to start my own company and get the flexibility that I needed to continue to grow my business and grow it in a place that is near and dear to my heart, which is Jamaica. Mm, mm, Okay. Okay. And so LA is a vast town. So what is your area? What attracted you to that specific neighborhood? Well, LA is vast. And as you age, there's different neighborhoods that you decide to move to. So when Mm -hmm. I first moved to Los Angeles, I lived in a place called uh, North Hollywood Studio City, Mm -hmm. um, which is known to have a lot of people that have big dreams and big visions and move from everywhere in the world to become uh, part of the entertainment industry. So I would always laugh and tell people that, you know, in most cities, 
rush hour happens at, you know, in the morning and at five o'clock. But in Studio City, rush hour was always in the middle of the day because everyone was a waiter or a waitress. Oh, okay. And they partied at night and they they were they they could only take their auditions during the day. So that was when everything was really busy. But by five o'clock they were just you know, going to work in, in usually the service industry. So nobody had jobs during the day. It was the busiest time because everyone was there to make their dreams possible and not, and working a nine to five was like a, a loss for most. If you told someone you had a nine to five job, they'd go, I'm so sorry for you. You know, that's the kind of neighborhood I but then I, I got, I got a boyfriend who ended up being my husband. And then we moved more to the places where people have full-time jobs. And then when they got pregnant and I did, we moved to a residential neighborhood, which is one of um, it's, it's actually um, called Windsor Hills. You may have heard of Baldwin Hills, Ladera Heights. They're all part of black middle-class, one of the wealthiest black middle-classes in the country. Mm -hmm. It's a huge concentration of highly educated black people that want to live with each other and live Mm -hmm. in a neighborhood together. And for a little girl that grew up in a going to a school where I was the only black person in the entire elementary school, my dream was to not raise my children that same way. Let my children mm. have an opportunity to see that look like them and see people that look like them in a neighborhood that's safe and it's, and there's education and there's opportunity and there's stores that are black owned all around my neighborhood. And so um, this is kind of like my dream come true to nice. live with. Um, Live, live, live with people that look like me and have great stories to tell my children uh, and me. Nice, 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 nice. I like that. Okay, so let's get into some of the, the technical pieces of your entrepreneurial journey. So you took a step away from tech and from CS, started a business, you were in artist management. So how did you find your way back into tech and then into entrepreneurship in the tech space? As an artist manager, I I was surprised that I could come up with an idea. (laughs) It seemed crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not even, I didn't even know much about art. And I was successful at writing people that were my, um, you know, greatest, uh, some of the greatest artists that I had ever known or experienced and writing them letters and saying, hey, my name's Stacy Green and I'd like to work with you. And they wrote me back or they called me back. So I had a, a great experience there, but I also didn't realize that a business requires you to manage expenses and income and revenue and eventually ran out of money and <laughs> realized, okay, I've got got to go back to what makes a lot of money or good money. And that was technology. Um, Fortunately, since I was able to be a leader in the dot-com boom, I was able to jump right back into leadership Mm. and technology um, Mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles. And the specialty that I have is around software quality assurance, which is a, a field where Eventually, after being in it for 10 plus years, you become an expert in that area, but maybe more of a specialist as opposed to a generalist that maybe 
becomes a chief technical officer or one of the head of technology. And so the only path really for me was to become a consultant. And it's an area that I love to do. I love going into companies where they have a challenge and they need someone that has been through it, that has great ideas, fresh ideas. And so I became a consultant and I started my own company of one. And over those couple of years, I added a few people here and there as my client said, do you have any more people that can do what you can do? And then I started to realize that I had this bright idea that wasn't a bright idea. It was actually a crazy idea. I, I thought, you know what? I'm a mother with two children. Maybe if I hire enough people to work for me, then they can do all the work and I can work less. <laughs> <laughs> I can work less and I can spend more time with my children. So that was my not so bright idea because as I grew with people, so did the responsibilities right. of being their leader right. also increase. But I found that because I chose Jamaica and I chose Jamaica, many people think because my father's Jamaican. No, I'm a much, and, and, and I, and they go, oh, you must be Jamaican. That's why you chose Jamaica. And I said, no, I'm much more of a shrewd businesswoman than that. Mm. Jamaica is a third party. English speaking country on the Western hemisphere. It shares mm -hmm. time zones with the majority of the United States. English first language and software developers were probably 30% uh, of the salary of a United States software developer. Mm -hmm. That's why I chose Jamaica as the place. But as I hired and I built a team with a culture like I'd never experienced in America, one that's actually not at your throat, not the crabs in the barrel, but everyone lifting each other up. I realized that even though I didn't have more time with my kids, I finally found my passion in life. I always wanted mm. to figure out how does computer science tie in to me helping the world? And it didn't, ne it never made sense until I expanded my company to Jamaica and had an opportunity to work with brilliant, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire life and give them the knowledge, the courage to let the world know that they exist and that they are an expert. My life is fulfilled every day because of, of what I do with my team there and what we do even broader than our company here in the United States and all across the world. Wow, that's amazing. I love that part of your story, just that you found the uplift in you know people who were, could be invisible otherwise. And that's, that's a lot of what brown people around the world are, is invisible and with the skill set. So let me ask you this, like living in Africa, one of the challenges that we have, Ghana is also English speaking, doesn't show those time zones, but in terms of the work culture, and also a former um, British colony, in terms of the work culture, how did you go about, I guess, kind of acclimating yourself to setting these different standards? Because I think, you know, the the idea that it's more laid back is something that often happens. The sense of urgency is something that may or may not be there. Here in Ghana, we have infrastructure issues with power, roads, that type of thing. What were some of those types of challenges that, that you may have confronted in, in order to get to this solid team and the solid morale and, and place with your team there? Well, I think Ghana and Jamaica have a lot of similarities. Infrastructure, mm -hmm. the the salaries or the depressed salaries for uh, the people that work there. It was not easy creating a company in Jamaica, building a company in Jamaica. But I think 
what has made us successful is that I did not use a blueprint of the colonizers. I did not mm-hmm. use a blueprint mm-hmm. of how white, the white world has come into our countries and our places and, and, and say, this is how it should be. I realized that as people, especially people that have, uh, have had so much taken away from them, we learned special skills that I think is at the core of what innovation and technology is about. We learn to be hustlers. We learn how to make do with what we have. We know how to problem solve. And these are very real true. Problems. Not mm-hmm. you know, what type of shoes am I going to wear today? These are how am I going to pay five bills with half the money that I have? And those skill sets may not have always been valued in how they can help build the technology of the future. For me, I found myself hiring people that went to a university in Jamaica that wasn't for the richer kids. Mm -hmm. It was for the kids that came from humble beginnings and had to push and fight to get to where they were. And I found that when I interviewed them and I asked them the questions that I asked in my interview, which is known to be one of the hardest interviews in Jamaica, the the what I look for isn't can you tell me how to code this line of code? I ask questions like, here is a really tough problem, and you are the only one that can solve it. Solve it. And I sit there and I make them squirm in their chair to figure out how they're gonna solve it. But us as a people, and this is from Ghana to Jamaica to the United States, we have something very special in that we can be in a tough situation and find our way out. And so what I think at the core of the company, coming back to your question, the core of my company is we all have this entrepreneurial spirit that doesn't need to be squashed. And most corporations, they don't want you to do anything but what they say to do. The, The foundation of our culture is I'm going to make you into your own boss. I'm going to make you into an expert because our culture is about entre- entrepreneurs. So I'm going to make you your own entrepreneur. I have a very flat organization and I let people know you're not going to bring everything to us. The, the, British, the British style of education, um, the British style of work is very much do what your boss says. Yeah. And so when I came and said, you're the boss. It was a total mind shift and not everyone could get it, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if you've been in it long. I'll say we have a lot of young people that are coming out of college where their mind is still open to, I can be my own boss. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I was able to get them excited about who they could be and who they really are, everything else was just relationships. Mm -hmm. If you're in any country and you have problems with infrastructure, you got to have a friend. And you got to have a friend that works here. You got to have a friend here. And so because of, even though I didn't grow up in Jamaica, I have a lot of ties in Jamaica from friends here and there. And I called on all my friends. I called on the people that knew my mom or my best friend's sister's uncle or my, you know, Mm -hmm. my son's And I asked for their help. And I asked for a lot of help from as many places as I could. And it was incredible how as a community, and this is part of our culture, our community comes together when you ask for help and you're trying to yeah. do something good. And so yeah. it was really hard, but it was very fulfilling. And then there's some people that sometimes you gotta 
tell them what's in for them, you know? And not everyone is just going to do it out of nature, but it, that's part of business. Help with finding people that you can connect with either spiritually, emotionally on a community side or sometimes financial side to get it done. Interesting. So about how long did it take you to to get from idea to be there to kind of operating steadily and, and feeling like I have an operating business in another country? <laughs> well, because Stacy Green Management Services, my artist management service failed so miserably, I decided to take a year to write a business plan out for the growth of Quality Works Jamaica. And I'm glad I took that year. I wrote mm-hmm. out every detail of how much revenue I was getting the first three years, how I was going to get all of that revenue. And it was, you know, we're in a stage where people are like, don't do business plans anymore. That's old school. Just do a little deck and boom. And you, you know what? For every business is their own. But I knew personally yeah. that for me, if I can write out what I want to accomplish in three years with that level of granularity, I will accomplish it. And I remember taking my business plan to the University of Technology Innovation Center, which was an incubator for small businesses. And, and I went in and I, I was pitching to the director and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how big I'm going to be in three years. And he laughed in my face and said, you are crazy. There's no way you're going to make this much money in three years. We won't even give you a big office because you'll never need it. And I remember he gave me an office at the size of my closet. We call it the matchbox. That's what we call it. It was that small. We were arm to arm in there. But in one year, we outgrew it. And the year after that, we outgrew the other one. And we hit all the numbers that I expected to meet in the, in the first three years. So we, from the time of idea, I took a year. And then I went in through, through an incubator in Jamaica that helped me not have to pay for all of the la- lights, gas, you know, internet. And that place was, like I said, it was a, it was a matchbox and the internet was terrible and the air condition worked some of the time. And we had all those problems. But when you're a new startup and you're excited, we were all so excited. And I remember there were times when the internet would go out and they would all get on their skateboards. This is how bad it was. Skateboards to go to somebody's mama's house to get on the internet so we could have a client call. But, you know, after about a two, three years, we were able to expand and build our own office out. Um, and so it was, it was just incredible. Like there's nothing like starting something and seeing it grow and being a part of that thing of that, that does it with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It just, it sounds awesome. It sounds like a really great opportunity to mentor and nurture young minds. So I love all of that. So speaking of you've been in Jamaica or being in California, let me ask you, Mike, a local speak question. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you've come to value it as a local speak. Yeah. So there's a saying in Jamaica, we may be little, but we tally why. <laughs> and it means we may be a small country. Uh-huh. But we are powerful and strong and tough. So I would, when I heard the word Taliwa, and I'm probably saying it really badly because my, my staff is always <laughs> laughing. At Taliwa. So anyone listening that says, Stacey, you did not from Jamaica. Yes, I, I know. Look at the language. But I, to me, you know, I'm not, li- I'm not little. You know, that's little. 
I'm not yes. little. I'm six feet tall. But in terms of the way America, oh, not America, the way the world looks at Black women, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I may be little, you know, yeah. but yeah. me tell you what, just like Jamaica, there's no place you can go in the world where you don't know Jamaica. Jamaica is a little island, less than just two million people, but they're strong and powerful. So the word Taliwa, I want to, I like put it on a shirt. Like I'm, I'm strong. I'm powerful. Um, it doesn't matter who, how little I am to this, this world. You know, I've got what it, I'm a tough lady. I like that. I really like that one. That's a good one. And you, your accent, you, you got a little accent on there. So I think they'll say it's okay. <laughs> Someone's shaking their head, listening to your podcast, like, oh, no. Like, no. <laughs> Sounds like she's in the movie Cool Runnings. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about your, your latest endeavor. So you started one business, grew it, employees, all that stuff, but now you have another business. So how did posture happen? How did that happen? And, and, and where, where are you now? When you hire people based on their entrepreneurial spirit, they're going to, and, and their technical strengths and brilliance, they're going to come to you with a lot of ideas, a lot of mm-hmm. ideas. Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we build that? And so my team was very passionate about building a software platform that would have impact in areas that are passionate to them, which is a small mm-hmm. business. If you're in Jamaica, you're a small business, even if you're a large business for Jamaica. Right. And yeah. at the time, and this was in 2018, Cybersecurity, and, and and I'll say at the time and, and as of current, cybersecurity is one of those those spaces where it's just never received the attention that it should get. But yeah. the impact, especially right. for a small business that is hit, is devastating. And so, between my technical strength of my team and the need for small businesses to actually have an opportunity to grow and be able to have secure data and be able to protect their customers, we decided to build out a platform called Posture, which is a risk management platform to help small businesses figure out how do I meet, how do I build a cybersecurity program? We've automated that for them. Mm. Um, But beyond that, how do we quickly get them the compliance that they need so that they can work with larger companies? There's PCI compliance, ISO compliance, HIPAA, CMMC, NIST cybersecurity framework, all of these things that mean absolutely nothing to most people. Um, But as a small business, if you want to work with a large company, they're going to ask you for these certifications. They're going to ask you for your programs and you will and, and this is what happened to me as a small business when I tried to work with NBC Universal and they asked me questions. And even as a technical company, I had no idea where to even begin. And so um, our goal is to make it easy and possible for other small businesses not to have to go through what I went through when they want to grow and work with larger companies. And so that's why we created Posture. Mm, okay, that makes perfect sense. So this platform for for the non techies out there, SaaS is what? Because that's what it kind of runs on. It's kind of like um, what was the back in the day? Software as a service. Okay, so that's the SaaS. Yeah. 
Yes, software as a service, which really is most platforms that you get today. Anytime you have a subscription, it's software as a service. When you've got your, your sure. um, Spotify, your Apple Music, um, your Audible, all of those are software as a service. You are paying for a service that's software mm-hmm. and you pay some type of subscription. And so as a small business, we didn't want to charge like this big uh, retainer fee, consulting fee. We wanted the small business to be able to digest cybersecurity just like they digest paying for, you know, their Apple Music right. monthly right. at a price point that matters. So our our product is $199 a month and we manage your cybersecurity. So that's something that's reasonable and understandable for a business that's growing. So that's 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 what SaaS or software as a service SaaS stands for. Okay, okay, okay. Very easy to understand. And then thinking about exactly what you mentioned about how businesses can grow and understand how having that secure. I mean, because basically, if I'm company A, I want to provide even logistical support for, say, Amazon or something. Because I'm part of that whole platform, they want to know that I'm not bringing any robots that are coming to disrupt their their overall platform. So that's the idea, right? Is that they they need to understand that you as a company are not going to compromise my security protocols with your, you know, maybe not so secure protocols to be able to do business with you. Yeah. Uh, just to give you kind of some facts, almost over 50% of large companies that experience a cybersecurity breach experience Mm -hmm. it through one of their suppliers, Mm -hmm. one of the companies or vendors that they work with. Um, For example, there could be a a janitorial service that is working with a large company, maybe a Google, and they uh, plug in one of their wireless purifiers and that wireless purifier could potentially get on the Google network and breach them. So you will Mm -hmm. hear a lot of You'll hear a lot of these stories about these large companies getting breached. And oftentimes it's not because of the security the large company had. It was because of the lack of the security that one of their vendors that they hired had. And so over the last five years, especially, it's been even harder for small businesses to be able to work with large companies because they don't these large companies don't want to take the risk. They don't want to risk their security and their clients on giving a small business a chance. And so our hope is that we can show these large companies, hey, you can you can trust us. We have done our due diligence. We have this great automated platform that we use called Posture that gets us where we need to go. So everything we do at QualityWorks and the companies that we've created is really to enable people, businesses to be successful and hopefully more businesses that are diverse and and look like us and have more uh, diversity and and melanin than we've normally Mm -hmm. seen in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about what the future, like just looking at the security space, you've kind of mentioned it and, you know, needing small businesses wanting to, you know, have a greater piece of the pie of working with larger companies. Where do you see the AI moving in in your platform, number one, you know, being able, because I, I think you mentioned, or in the bio, I, I read that, that this is an AI powered platform, right? So as that becomes, I guess, I don't want to say more ubiquitous because it's already fairly ubiquitous in a number of things, but as the AI changes, 
How do you see the whole security space and landscape changing across the board? Yeah. Well, AI was a buzzword, I'll say, Mm -hmm. in the 2010s. Oh, my Mm -hmm. goodness. I want to get into AI, AI. Now AI is, uh, in my opinion, this is kind of what when I'm talking, AI is really just another tool Mm -hmm. for us to uh, quickly get to where we need to go, to quickly solve a problem. AI, though, fundamentally can be just as flawed as anything else we've created in this world. Right. Uh, it really comes down to the data that we, we feed into our AI systems. AI now is a default place. I still use it in my pitch and use it in mm. my description of our product. But mm-hmm. most companies now know that if they're not using artificial intelligence, they're probably not solving the problem as quickly and as flexible as it needs to be to continue to scale with other technologies. With that being said, AI also is used by not only the good people that want to use it the proper way, it's also used by the hackers and for malicious purposes. And so if you think of the type of information that one bad player has to attack companies, to attack our utilities, Mm -hmm. to attack individuals. If you take that person's brain and you dump it into an AI system with another 100 or 200 malicious players, what you can create an algorithm is attackers that can come to problem and, and find millions of ways to penetrate and to attack your systems. So it's a little scary. But in that being said, it's going to be even more important for companies to not think, oh, you know what, cybersecurity is something I never really had to worry about. No, it's it's becoming increasingly more difficult. You hear in the news about utility companies that are shutting down because they are attacked. My daughter's entire school district, Los Angeles, Los Angeles Unified School District, one of the biggest in the country, was shut down for a week. My daughter had couldn't get to her schoolwork. Nobody in the entire city could do what they needed to do, right? So they're getting smarter using AI. And so the people like me that are creating technologies also have to use AI to, to be able to become stronger and protect people. So I just caution people that technology doesn't move. It moves at a pace um, that is exponential. If we look at technology from the time we went from a car to an airplane, you know, if we look at just where we've gone with the iPhone from 2000 to 2020, it is exponentially faster. And so everything in technology is going to continue to move at a pace. And so you have to make sure you never get set that I didn't need it 15 years ago. I don't need it for the next 15 you may need to just keep your eyes open to the fact that things change and you need to be prepared to protect yourself in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And so what about individually? What are your thoughts on individual protections and for, you Joe, know, right? Joe, Joe, yeah. <laughs> Joe Public, what, what should they be doing? Yeah. So part of our training on our platform, so our platform has a learning management system that it, it, that is focused a lot on individual training around mm. cybersecurity. And the reason why we focused our training there is the majority of attacks 
they don't come from these yeah, um, they they don't they don't get breached because there's this really bad hacker somewhere in Eastern Europe that found you and found all these different ways to get there. Most of the time, these attacks come from people that are not educated within your organization, that don't have the basic understanding of what cybersecurity is and protecting yourself will be. So. Part of our platform, um, not not pitching it, but part of our platform is whatever training you get as a business employee, take it home to your family and let mm. your entire family watch it. A lot mm. of times, don't you know? There's this whole social engineering thing that you know we have to be careful what we put on the internet, as we all know. You don't want to tell everybody where you're at all the time, um, but you have to also be careful. You put all your your security, do you put your mother's maiden name all over things? Do you put those security questions where you, where you need to go? Because there are bots, the AI bots that are looking for those specific things every day. And I screenshot it because once I get my TikTok uh, social media person, you know, every day we get a smishing attack. That's an SMS mm. text that says something like, hey, your Amazon order didn't go through. Yeah. Or, hey, this is me. You know, your your IRS, you're going to be audited. Call this phone number. So they're getting very smart at coming up with ways to attack you, especially with phishing and smishing. Smishing is SMS text mm-hmm. or email tech, email that get, catch you off guard and allow you to call them and give them your social security number or your credit card, or you click it and it downloads a virus or malware to system. So I tell individuals, just go with what seems right. If it doesn't seem right, don't click on it. And sometimes you'll be off. Like, you know, one time my staff got me a $250 gift card for Sephora. Now I don't really wear makeup and my team gets paid well, but that is a pretty, pretty costly gift. Mm -hmm. And I got an email saying, Hey, you got to, your staff got you an SMS, click here. And I didn't click on it for six months. <laughs> and so one of my staffs was like, Stacy, did you ever, did you ever get a gift from us? And I was like, oh I, that, that was very suspicious, right? So you will be wrong from time to right. time. I was wrong. You know, I'm not clicking on that. Ain't nobody buying me makeup. <laughs> they know I don't. <laughs> and my staff doesn't get paid that well. They could just give me these lavish gifts. So oh, you will get funny. it wrong. I think it's better to get it wrong than to, to get it off. Yeah. And I do ask people, I never call the numbers. If, if Amazon or American Airlines says, call me now, yeah. call this number. I never call that number. I just call the regular number. And, they, and, right. and oftentimes they say, this is not you. Right. No, excuse me. This is not us. So right. um, just things to keep in mind. Sure, sure, sure. Great advice. Great advice because it's very prevalent. Uh, Yeah. So speaking of keeping your mind right, so we want to know what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of or one that you practice. Okay. Well, one of my mindset hacks, and this is something that I had to learn as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, there is no nine to five. You can work all the time, day and night. And what I found is that after a few years of, of my expansion, I had no life balance anymore. I worked 
1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., all through the night. And I realized that my life had become completely tied to the success of my company. My joy Mm -hmm. was tied to the success of my company. And um, that was not that was not healthy. So what I did was I began to go to work, even though I work from home, I began to go to work. I brought my purse and I brought my I brought Ah. my my drink and I went into my office and I promised myself to leave everything that had to do with work in my office and my desk and leave at five o'clock with my purse with my shoes, change my clothes. Like I would, if I actually had like a nine to five job and it seems really crazy, but it allowed me to separate my business from my life and just a little part of it. Because, you know, in entrepreneurship, they say it is not a destination. It's a journey. And you always feel like if you think it's a if you think it's a destination, you're always going to feel like a failure because <laughs> you're like I haven't hit what I want to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I had to change my my mindset to this is a journey, and this journey has a, a cap every day. And when mm-hmm. that cap is done, go enjoy your children, go enjoy your friends, your house, your home, travel, and come back to work the next day and and continue that journey. Nice. So are you still, you still practice that, I'm assuming? I, I do, except for pandemic made it a little bit harder. Yeah, because, I was going to say you know, that probably changed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the children were working for years, so they don't, they don't respect those same boundaries that this is mommy's <laughs> office. <laughs> but I do, I have, you know, I, I have my purse right here next to me. I have my key. And, um, you know, and, and even though this, I, my office, you know, is just really my desk right now, I do right. everything here. And, it, and so much want to take my laptop in my bed sometimes, but I just don't do it anymore because it's not healthy for your mind yeah. long-term, so. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the biggest no-no. Laptop in bed is the biggest no-no because that is a slippery slope that you will never, it'll be very difficult to climb your way out of. So oh, that's yeah. a good practice. Oh, I was yeah. Bad. Yeah, I was yeah. bad. I would lean up. I would wake up in the middle of the night and check an email mm-hmm. and respond and go back to sleep. Oh, so oh my bad. gosh. Don't do that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, sometimes labors of love. What can we say? Yeah. <laughs> so, Stacey, before we let you go, let's talk a little bit more about the Stacey that is is the one who leaves the desk and picks up her bag and goes out. So I like to ask this question. Are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Oh, wow. I am a listener. And I will say my listening is a little different. I, I, I have my, I do have, you know, uh, a couple podcasts that I really enjoy, you know, American Dream, Revisionist History. Um, okay. But as I mentioned kind of earlier on, I am attracted to people that are very different from me. And I, and, and most people think that I'm an extrovert just because I have a lot of friends, but I am truly an introvert that loves to just sit and listen to my, my friends and their stories. And I, I am more of a listener than a reader. But when I do read, I read biographies mm. of people that have overcome I pick a lot of comedians because comedians will are people that surprisingly have very troubled past <laughs> and are able to take misery and pain and make it funny. 
Yeah. But I, I really love to just listen to my diverse of friends and network sharing their life and their experiences because um, we are so much more alike than we think we are. And the world mm-hmm. wants us to many times think we're very different. Um, and that's what keeps um, any of us from coming together to do great things. But, you yeah. know, listening is just incredible to just hear our journeys. And even you and I just hearing our journeys and the things, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of similarities. And, and I think that's what brings us brings us together to do great things. Nice, 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 nice. So... I just have to ask some of the comedians that you have read their books, because I have a really good, I have a few really good comedian friends and, and they do have stories. <laughs> so I'm just curious. Oh gosh. Well, the two of the last ones I read was Tiffany Haddish and Trevor Noah's okay. book, Born a Crime. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was not expecting, I'm reading Kevin Hart's. It's a little, little different. Oh, okay. But Trevor Noah Gosh, what a life story for such a young mm. person in general. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are writing books when they're in their 30s now. And it's like, don't you mm-hmm. want to wait till you're like 80 or something? But he had a, he's had a lot of life in the time that he's been there. And, and the same with Tiffany Haddish. And so yeah. reading their books, I, I, I'm a, I like comedy. Like I watch, I know some people like drama and, you know, murder mysteries. I like to laugh. And so yeah. if I'm going to read, I want to... And, um, yeah. it, but I also want to see that there's nothing too hard that you can't get over it. Right. And, um, yeah. and, and yeah. they've had some, things. they've had some really hard things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read Tiffany Haddish's book. So I haven't, I haven't gotten to Trevor, but it's on the list and I, I'll, I'll look at Kevin Hart. We'll see what I, happens. I highly recommend that. That one is the best, so the best so far. You got to read really? to the end though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I, it's, okay. you don't, you do the ending is, is worth it. Worth the entire read. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Well, Stacy, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and your smile. I've just been very, just a side note, folks. This woman is a busy woman. She is truly a world traveler. She was just telling me about her last journey. But but being a, a an entrepreneur, I really appreciate you taking time out to kind of have this conversation and just share your knowledge with the folks. So before we sign off, Thank do you, you have any last comments that you'd like to share with our listeners? I will just say we are we are global citizens. We are, as I mentioned, we're so much alike. And if we can find those one or two things that we share in common, that's where that's where magic happens. That's where the beauty mm-hmm. of us all being part of this humankind uh, is, makes it so special. So I, I can encourage people to continue to find our similarities and how we can work together to do some really amazing things. So thank you. Nice. It's a pleasure being on your show. Thank you. Thank you. All right, local citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at glocalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, share, subscribe, give us a review. We're looking forward to your comments. Recommend a guest. You know the drill. Just give us a thumbs up. Until next time, bye for now.